0: Welcome to Demond Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here, Demondcast. And my guest today has a master's degree in English from the University of Nebraska at Omaha. She is a member of the Women's Fiction Association, and when she isn't writing or reading, she sews. Her story, Doggone Ghost, is in the horror anthology, Exhumed. Please help me welcome Bernie Brown. I'm not sure
1: I really deserve that.
0: Wonderful welcome. (laughs) Uh, Hello. Nice to meet you. Hello, it is nice to meet you as well. I believe everybody deserves that type of introduction at least once. Okay. The re- well,
1: I, I got mine then. Yay!
0: I think everybody has a unique story to tell. Every, you know, like, if you talk to somebody long enough, I, I'm of the belief, if you talk to somebody long enough, they're going to tell you something that you are absolutely go- that's absolutely going to shock you because we all live in stereotypes. That's, that's one of the reasons <laughs> I even started this show. God's eyes truth.
1: Okay. I'll try to shock you.
0: Surprise, shock, awe, usually one of those things.
1: <laughs> I, I'm afraid I'm not, I'm pretty mild, I'm not really the fucking type, but I'll do my best.
0: Everybody says that, and then they say something, and I go, oh, that's really cool, so. Oh, okay. Should, I will right. be the judge of that, ma'am. No.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: Uh, I, I don't think people, I just don't believe, I believe that people don't give give themselves enough credit, That's that's kind of my take on it. So, before we, get into, before we get into the six questions, I did mention that you sew. What kind of things do you sew? Like, what's the, what sewing creation are you the most proud of?
1: Yeah, it's my, my masterpiece, practically. I have two granddaughters, ages three and six. When the first one was born, uh, when she was about two or three, uh, I started this house. You, you take a, um, a card table. And then you create a fabric house to, that goes down over the table. And therefore, you know, it, it's sort of like a little hut, but it's all cloth. Thankfully, I just it took me a couple of years to finish because I just kept getting ideas. And it's got flowers and butterflies and bees and doors and windows, curtains, a bird's nest on the, the, the roof and a chimney. Recycling garbage. <laughs> it's got the whole thing. And I really had a lot of fun with it. And like I said, I just couldn't stop. It became an obsession. So I finally got it done well, by the time a second child had been born. So that's my masterpiece. It's called The Cozy Cottage.
0: The Cozy Cottage. Is there any way you could send a picture of that to me after we're done? Because I'd love to see that.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I have many. And, and inside, I embroidery... Um, you know, made for Helen and hope by Gigi. So that's around the base for it.
0: Right on. That's really cool.
1: Okay. So that's the most interesting thing about me.
0: (laughs) How long have you been sewing?
1: Oh gosh. I, I I really did start when I was about three or at least I tried, you know, um, I, I had some really horrible failures, but that's how I learned. My mother was an excellent seamstress and, um, you know, I just hung around her a lot, and um, and now I know that um, I have made my granddaughters very aware of fabric and color
0: design,
1: creating. Um, I, I get constant orders from, from Helen. You know, I have made a mermaid, mermaid costumes for them, um, rock star costumes, matching baby Dolls jams. You know, if I'm boring, you just tell me to be quiet. <laughs> on the, on the works right now are, they're called fancy skirts. Um, just, yeah, stuff like that. I saw for myself, too, but Helen doesn't give me a lot of breaks.
0: <laughs> when will your granddaughters be starting with
1: you? Well, actually, Helen is six, and, and I've talked to her about it, and she's afraid of needles. So um, I'm just not going to force her. Force it on her, you know. If she she wants to learn, I'll be glad to help her learn. But um, you know, she's got to come to it on her own.
0: Are you ready to answer the six questions?
1: I am. I am. I'm ready to go.
0: Question number one. When did you know you wanted to be a writer?
1: I actually started writing fiction when I was fifty. I am now 72. And um, I had majored in English, and that was literary criticism that I wrote. So I was always a big reader, but I never really um, thought about writing fiction. But then, as uh, the older I got, a story formed in my head that um, I had actually experienced as a child, and I just thought, someday I'm going to write that down. And I finally did when I was 50, and... I entered it in a local small newspaper contest, and it, lo and behold, it, it won like honorable mention or something. So it didn't get published, but I did read it at Barnes and Noble, and you know that's all it took, man. I, the bug had bitten me, and so I just started making small goals for myself, like when I'm I'm going to get one thing published before I die. Well, it took three years for that to happen, and uh, I wasn't dead. So then I said, well, if I can get five short stories published, I'm going to write a novel. And I did get five short stories published. And I started a novel, which was horrible, because I wasn't involved in any writer groups or anything like I am now. And so I was just going it alone. I bought writing novels for dummies. I wrote really a terrible, quite terrible novel. I mean, there was no overriding character arc or big plot. But I learned from it. I finished it. I wrote a novel, and and then I knew even less about submitting it for publication. But I tried, and got absolutely no response.
0: So you were sixty when you when you got started. When the bug finally bit you, that on that first novel, did you ever uh, revise and edit that, and then submit it, or whatever happened to that one?
1: Well, well, it went in a drawer. Um, but I did steal from it from my novel that did get published last year in October. I stole some characters. I made minor characters, main characters. I got rid of the main characters I had. I kept the setting. I streamlined the whole idea of what it was about. It became a novel uh, of mother-daughter conflict. It's set in 1960 in Iowa in a small town because that's my era. I grew up on a farm in Iowa.
0: What's the name of that novel?
1: I, ne- I never told
0: I never it's told about,
1: I never told you that's the name of the book yeah <laughs> i wasn't actually saying i never told you i never told you It's the title and it's about a mother and a daughter who keep secrets from one another and once they discover them it nearly destroys their relationship and so it's a story of can they mature and get beyond this bitterness that these the discovery of these secrets have caused them. There was another novel in there, which was an improvement on that first one, but not good enough. At least I got some rejections. I didn't even, nobody even bothered to reject the first one. And in between those two, I wrote the first draft of a completely different kind of book, which I just set aside. I don't know why. I guess because I'm interested in the second Iowa novel. Now I've gone back to that, and that's my work in progress now. I, and I, would you like to know what that's about?
0: Yes, I would.
1: It's supposed to be light, fluffy, nothing serious. It's about really my husband and myself, loosely disguised. We have traveled a lot in Europe, and it's about some adventures and misadventures that they have in four different countries, Germany, Mainz, Germany, Florence, Italy, St. Ives in Cornwall in England, and in the Channel Islands. We've been to all of these places, but the things that actually happened to us in the novel didn't really happen to us, um, and we, were, we really didn't make fools of ourselves in the way that these two characters do in um, front of the locals. That's what this book is about, and it's called Every Delay is a Gift. Because when, while we were traveling, we tried to keep that philosophy in mind. Because, you know, when you travel, things do go wrong. And you just have to find out what that, you know, side trip took gave you. Like, there might have been a gift involved in the fact that you got laid over in London.
0: Sounds like a lot of misadventures that everybody can relate to. Yeah, it was.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Question number two. Okay. What do you wish you had known when you had started out?
1: I wish I had known that when you choose people to work with with your writing, because all writers have a critique group, you need to be careful about who you choose to work with because some people will critique your work just to actually show off what they know, not really with your work in mind. And it, that's soul-crushing. So I, I found the perfect... I, there were people I trusted. I knew when they gave me criticism, it was with my own best interest in mind. So I learned to be very careful about the people that you let read your work. You need to trust them and before it's published. It also wish I'd known that in the end, no matter how much good advice you get from wonderful writers, make it your story and do what in your heart you want to do with that story. Those are the things I wish I had known, but I, I do know now and not to compare myself to other writers because there's always going to be somebody better. Um, There's something in the writer world called the imposter syndrome most writers, no matter how successful they are, feel like they're fraud. And so you have to constantly fight against that. Okay, we had this interview set up. I thought, you know, I'm just faking it. Why did this guy want to interview me anyway? You know, I mean, that always goes through my head. And I think otherwise, it is. And you just have to push it away and value, value your expertise to whatever height it has reached.
0: Ah, the imposter syndrome. If it makes you feel any better, the imposter syndrome shows up on this side of the uh, phone too because there have been some interviews.
1: <laughs> I, I suppose both, both people, yeah. unless um, you're a narcissist, most people experience that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Question number three. What's your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant?
1: All right, I'm going to give you um, two answers because like, my husband and I grew up in Iowa, but we have lived in Raleigh, North Carolina for 35 years, so I'm going to talk about two hometowns. Our favorite restaurant here in Raleigh is just down the street. It's a, a neighborhood pub called the Northridge Pub. And my favorite order there is Fish on, on greens. And you pick your favorite salad. They have several salads. I always choose the strawberry salad. And then whatever fish of the day, you know, is a special that day, salmon, tuna. Unless it's something I really, really dislike, I'll get that on top of the salad. So that's my, my Raleigh favorite. And in Zyra, my strange name of my Iowa hometown, it is a sin not to order the tenderloin sandwich. And <laughs> the tenderloin is like, hangs out three inches all the way around your bun. It's deep fried. It's, you know, Iowa pork. It's wonderful. If I had said answer anything else to that, you know, I would, Iowa would disown me. So tenderloin sandwich in Iowa, fish on greens here in North Carolina.
0: Question number four. What are you curious about?
1: Well, this one, you're going to be sorry you asked because because, it's an endless list. (laughs) First, I'll tell you what I'm not curious about. I'm a little bit ashamed of. I'm not very curious about science. I'm kind of ashamed of that because our daughter teaches chemistry. And I, I just tell her, maybe if I you had taught me chemistry, I would have enjoyed it more. I'm just not very curious about what are molecules and things of that nature. I'm not very curious about bugs, stones, you know, minerals. But what I am curious about is history, especially everything having to do with the first half of the 20th century in the United States and Europe. In so many ways, women came into their own in World War II and were not recognized for it. And now their stories are coming out. I just cannot get enough of them. You know, the women flew planes. They decoded German code and Japanese code. Donut dollies, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they, they're not, they weren't as frivolous as it sounds. They got up on the front line with these very difficult, messy machines that made donuts just to raise the, the morale of the soldiers. And sometimes I ended up in the fray and helped an injured soldier get rescued. Women like that coming into their own, whose stories are coming out now. That I'm just very curious about that. And it's good that there is an endless supply of those books now. I'm also extremely interested in immigrants because my grandparents immigrated from Denmark and in my home town it's mostly all the towns around there are for the most part the people are of Danish heritage and there is a major Danish American museum close to where I grew up and I'm proud to say that my my relatives have contributed quite a bit to that museum in terms of leadership and funds and memorabilia we never go to Iowa but what we go to see what, what exhibits are on at the Danish Museum because there's a long history of good relations between our country and Denmark. And also the stories of these immigrants, you know, how truly brave they were. Like my grandmother, she came to America and she never went back. You know, she never saw her mother again. And how do you make that decision? I'm curious about history especially the first um, half of the 20th century. I'm curious about World War II, the Jews' stories of escaping and, and finding refuge in, well, not just America, but different countries around the world.
0: What has been your favorite book that you've read about this time period recently?
1: Oh, that's so hard to say, there's been so many. I think my overriding favorite was actually an, a nonfiction called the Code Girls, and it was about how these girls were, and then, of course, they were called girls. Everybody was called girls then. If you were between 20 and 30, you were still a girl. How these girls were chosen was from every walk of life, demographic of, of, well, they just had to take the test, and you could do that at your local post office. The test was like things like pattern recognition, work that you know being good at crosswords you know is a very unusual test that proved ability to the code and then these women went to dc there were like 50 different establishments where they lived These they put up these quickly built dorms with all these women crowded in and of course their work was entirely secret they couldn't even talk about it with other outside of work, and it had to remain secret until, until this day. A lot of it has not been revealed because, you know, that would just let the rest of the world know too much about our ability to decode, and I thought so their stories, I think, were the most fascinating. Some of them went to the South Pacific, and, and they, they were recognized within the military. You know, they were given credit for what they did, which was really remarkable. But the public didn't know what they did because they just didn't want to. The military just didn't reveal those kinds of things. So that really was my favorite book.
0: Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't?
1: Well, I told you about the, what I'm working on now. My next book, project in line is a character that was cut from my novel that got published. I did have four main characters. A a very successful writer here in town did critique it for me. And she said, he's, you know, this fellow Butch, he's a delightful character. He deserves a book of his own, but he really does not impact the conflict. And I think she cut him. So I did. But I've always, I'm going to write Butch's story, I kept all the information that I cut out of the book. So after I finished this book, Butch is next in line. After that, I want to take a road trip in Iowa because there is awful lot there that I didn't know or appreciate when I grew up there and now it's coming to light. So I want to take a road trip around Iowa to visit all the places that I haven't been and write another book like this book I'm writing about Europe only write this one about Iowa and then after that if and when that gets published I would like to devote myself entirely to ghost stories
0: to what to ghost stories oh okay speaking of ghost stories <laughs> yeah, thank never, you for the segue I, I, I
1: really I, I read ghost stories now but I, I never used to and when I first had my first several published I still didn't read them but it just I don't know it's just sort of I tried to write a mystery and a mystery you have to unravel it logically. But a ghost story, you don't have to explain it. You don't know, have to have its own logic in interior logic, but so I guess that's why ghost stories came more easily for me than mysteries. I'm trying to find a contact in a film school who needs need to project because I think this story, the doggone ghost, to make a very good short film. And I wouldn't ask any money for it. I just want a little bit of
0: credit. Speaking of doggone Ghost, could you tell us more about that story and uh, like the elevator pitch, I guess, and also tell us more about Exhumed, the horror anthology that you're going to be a part of? To
1: start with, a an anthology was published in October called Halloween Party 2019 by Devil's Party Press. And I had three stories in that anthology. And then Devil's Party Press created a new imprint called Gray Light Press. And it humed this anthology is like a best of from the previous anthology 13 stories. And it's Gray Light Press's first production. Diane Pierce. The story itself is about, it's set it in a department store, in the men's department. And it is about the rather fussy little man, his name is Marvin Trumlove, who is ahead head of the men's suits. Extremely particular, perfectionistic about how he keeps the department clean, orderly. Well, there's one mannequin that somehow repeatedly gets rest inappropriately overnight, like it's beautiful, you know, Calvin Klein suit or whatever disappears, and something and it is wearing something totally inappropriate when he, Marvin comes towards the next morning, and he, there's no explanation for that. And it's the unraveling of who has been doing that and why that is how the story ends, and I'm going to tell you that. But Barman does not allow himself to swear any, you know, any more
0: severely than doggone it, you know, doggone it. They've
1: done it again to that man. man. So, and is hence that
0: enough? The ti- hence the title. I, okay. Yeah, you've given me just enough to be super interested. Question number six. It's the last one, the coup de grace, the finale, the end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I hope it's, it's worthy.
0: I'm sure it will be. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate?
1: It would be Friends Day because I have been so overwhelmingly blessed with wonderful friends, loyal friends, fun, intelligent. You know, I don't know why I got so lucky. My life is just so rich because of those people. Well, not only them, but um, my husband's wonderful too. But of course, I guess he's my friend.
0: So, how would you celebrate it? Would there, so, you said gifts. Um, oh, a, oh, a party. Oh, okay. a party. Okay.
1: <laughs> That's what we're missing anyway this, this group of, of writers at the Triangle. That we've we've become very close over the last I don't know what ten years, and we get together regularly. They're each other's book launches, or or just at each other's houses. Sometimes with our partners and spouses. Sometimes just girls' night. Yeah, we would have a party. And we would eat and we would drink wine.
0: That sounds talk. like a blast. Let me know when you uh, set up Friends Day because I want to hear all about it. Send it, send me pictures. Okay. Send me pictures, send me okay. video, send me audio, send all it to me. Wednesday <laughs> sounds fine.
1: Well no, what happens what happens at the the writing party parties at the writer parties, so I can't send your audio.
0: Fair enough. Sometimes
1: we talk about our husbands.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like Vegas with those kind of parties. I, I get yeah. that. <laughs> I a
1: get little that. like that.
0: I get that. All right. Well well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you.
1: Sure, sure. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I hope that, um, I didn't say um too much because I kept hearing myself saying um. And I will send you the pictures of the cozy cottage.
0: Yay! Thank you, dear listener. And remember to please subscribe and leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. It helps more people see the show and join the conversation. Next week, we talk Buckaroo bonsai love, and the Herculoids with the most unique name in all of fiction, Zigzag Zag Claiborne. So until next time, see hear it, speak it, live.